At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to his followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as he marks out the way of discipleship for us. Church family, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come today to worship you to worship with you with our voices, to worship with you with our minds, to worship with you with everything that we are today. And so, God, we ask that over the course of the next few moments that you would help us to cast aside whatever the burdens are of the past week, the things that we're wrestling with, the things that we're dealing with in the office or on the job site, the struggles that we face at home, the struggles with relationships, God, would you help us to put those aside and to be able to focus only upon you and your word for these next few moments? God, we stand upon your word because your word is true. It's truth. It has everything we need to guide us and to lead us to walk out our faith in real, practical, tangible ways in the week ahead. So God, give us eyes to see that truth today. We ask for ears to hear that truth, God, and then humble, genuine hearts before you to live out that truth that you have opened before us in these next few moments. Speak to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Do you guys ever have one of those moments? The moment where your worst is on full display. You guys ever have one of those moments? Apparently, you guys are a little better than I am. Because I'll tell you, I had one of those moments. We had one of those moments uh, just this week when we decided we were going to do a bit of a home plumbing project. (laughs) Yeah, that's fun, isn't it? It was one of those moments where you can't run from your behavior, you can't hide from the things that you're thinking or saying the worst of you, and that moment is on full display. You are exposed. Now, take that moment, if you will, and magnify it and put it all over social media. Whatever that moment is for you, just put it out there. Put it on social media for all to see. Everyone in the world gets to see your misstep, your mistake, your sin, and then that becomes your defining moment. How does that feel? Imagine what that might feel like. You see, unfortunately, this is oftentimes what the watching world does when it comes to God's church. Many times our unbelieving family members, our unbelieving friends, they see the worst in us and then they choose to allow that to directly influence not just their view of the church, but their view of Jesus. The question is, why? Well, because we are the local representation of organized religion to our friends, to our family. 
The fact of the matter is, many people oftentimes do not like what they see when they see us trying to live out and to practice our faith. In fact, a new report released by the Pew Research Center, a long-trusted source, They've acknowledged that this is one of the primary reasons that Christianity is declining in the United States. It's declining because people don't trust Christians. And more so than that, they don't trust the organization that we are a part of. Now, I say that because that's incredibly sad. It's incredibly sad because of the words that we looked at last week to close out our text. You may remember, it was John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, and here's what Jesus said. He said, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by this love... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Can we all agree this morning that the American church is struggling with this a little bit? It's not too much of a reach, is it? We're struggling. But the question is why? Why are we struggling so? Why do we see this decline in our nation? And while the church gets scrutinized, few people will take that and directly and draw a direct line to Jesus Himself. If you talk to people on the street, the issue is you and me. It's the church. It's not Jesus. Most people, if they know anything about Jesus, would say, oh, yeah, He's a good teacher, good leader. He lived a great life, and I can model my life. I can pattern my life after Jesus. So we have to ask where the disconnect comes in. We have to consider where the disconnect is because they respect the Jesus way, but they fail to acknowledge that Jesus is the way. They respect the ways of Jesus, but they fail to acknowledge that Jesus is the way. Now, church, we are in week three of a 10-week sermon series called The Follower's Trail Guide, and what we're doing is we're seeking to understand the final words that Jesus gives as He prepares to sacrifice His life on a cross. What He gives His disciples And all who would engage with this in this context of what we call the the farewell discourse, what we find is these things are some of the most profound and foundational truths of the Christian faith, and I'm just going to stand before you and say I'm not exaggerating. What you see, what we read in John's gospel, in the chapters that we are considering and reading and engaging are some of the most significant, life-changing truths that we can come in contact with. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tee this up for you, set it out there for you. The text we're looking at today is that kind of text. It is a text that can truly change our lives. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 14, and we're going to see the way that Jesus makes all the difference. 
with what he communicates to us. So let's read it together. John chapter 14. You're going to find that on page 901 in our ESV Bibles, or you can read along behind me. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to, why would I told you that I've gone to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still still do not know me? Whoever has seen me, well, he's seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And so whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Church family, what we just read can change your life. It's not hyperbole. It's not overly dramatic. It's not pastor speak on a Sunday morning. What we just read, if we truly believe it, can transform our lives. You see, because what Jesus highlights for his first century friends and for all who read this is the call to believe in him, to believe in Jesus. Listen to the words once again and how he begins. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. But let's be candid with each other for just a moment. Let's be honest. Let's be real with each other. Belief sounds a bit too easy, doesn't it? I mean, it's incredibly simple, right? Perhaps it's even a little bit too basic. You want me to just believe? Belief can be easy. It can be simple. It can be basic. But belief can also be incredibly difficult. It can be extremely complex and complicated as well. So what we're going to do over the course of the next few moments together, we're going to spend our time today looking at both the simplicity of belief and the complexity of what it means to believe 
in Jesus. So let's begin again by looking a little more closely and digging in and diving in a little more deeply at verse 1. Here's what Jesus says. Let not your heart be troubled. Love that. Believe in God, believe also in me. For my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Why would I say that if it is not so? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way that I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we possibly know the way? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, there's so much for us to unpack here. So what I want to do is just kind of rapid fire through these individual verses and see what it means for you and for me as we consider this text. Jesus begins by acknowledging troubled hearts. Does that bring you comfort today? The people who were traveling with Jesus, the disciples, the people who he spent and poured his life into, he's telling them, I acknowledge your troubled hearts, but don't live there. Don't stay there. Because I want to give you hope in the midst of the heaviness. And what he does is he does that by linking the trust that we can have in God the Father and the confidence that we can have in him. He makes the link right there in verse 1. And you get to verse 2. This is where he gives his followers the second reason not to be troubled. It's not just this throwaway phrase. He says, hey, I'm going to give you reasons not to be troubled. And the second one is that we have a heavenly home. That you and I, as we believe upon Jesus, we have a heavenly home. This is why when a believer passes, it is unlike the death of an unbeliever. Because we have an eternal destiny that is different. Our eternal destiny is deeper and it abides in peace, not because of our own doing, but because of what Jesus does on the cross. And in Christ, we can have a deep, rich, abiding peace because we know our heavenly home is in our future. And then verses 3 and 4, I love this one. This helps us see something really, really basic. Jesus prepares for our arrival. Now, how many of you like this kind of place where you go to a family member's home or a friend's home and they have a nice warm meal for you, a nice comfy bed, the lights on, you know, it's, it's warm, it's inviting, it's cozy because it's been prepared they thought of you, and they had it in mind, so they cleaned the sheets, they vacuumed, they put everything in place because they know you were coming. It's a warm, welcoming feeling to be loved. That's one example that we see not only in our world, but of what Jesus does for you and for me. He prepares a place for his people. 
I want you to take comfort in that. Think on that this week. When times are tough, in the face of trouble, this is one of the ways that Jesus highlights for you and me, hey, I'm preparing a place for you. And then we reach verses 5 and 6. This is where the doubters among us might rejoice. (laughs) We see Thomas, the apostle, and he says, Jesus, where are you going? Where are you going? I I don't know where you're going. It's such an honest moment, isn't it? I hope that as you read that text, you can identify not only with Thomas, but the feeling that the others may have had in that moment. Maybe Thomas was really the only one who was bold enough to ask the question. You have to wonder if many of the other disciples in the moment were kind of thinking it, but Thomas was the only one that had the courage to actually speak up and say something. Where are you going? Because I'm going to be honest, I I don't know how to get there. Whatever path it is that you're walking, Jesus, I don't know how to follow that path and get to where it is that you were going. You see, Jesus had been casting vision about eternity. But Thomas, conversely, was thinking of the immediate. It's such a real and raw moment, actually. I love that. But this whole interaction... This whole thing leads to a very concise and, yes, very exclusive statement. It's one of the most exclusive statements in all of Scripture. And it is one that if you tell your friends or you enter into a dialogue in our culture, you might get some pushback because of this text, John 14, 6. Listen to the words of Jesus, I am the way. And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Man, that runs countercultural, doesn't it? Everything in our world says, well, you can go this path or that path or the other path. It's fine. It really doesn't matter. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody gets to experience our Heavenly Father except through me. Jesus has declared He alone is the way to the Father. You see, faith in Jesus is the path. Faith in Jesus is the road that leads to eternal life. So we believe that Jesus will, in fact, bring us to the Father. Jesus brings believers to the Father. Church, Jesus is the only way that someone can experience eternal life only through the repentance of sin and the believing in Jesus. Are we saved? And do we have a genuine hope for eternity? All of those things rest on the fact of our belief upon Jesus who is the Christ. This is why the Apostle Peter in the book of Acts says these words. He says, there is salvation found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That address is Acts 4.12 if you're taking notes. No one else. 
there is no other path. It's not the Jesus path or this path or that path. It is the Jesus path, period. The question that every single one of us must consider today is, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the way? Do you believe and have saving faith in Jesus who is the Christ? Do you believe? You see, church, for it is by only through God's grace, through our faith in Jesus, not just a generic faith, but faith in Jesus that we are saved from our sin and given new life. And all of those things that we've just unpacked are true of us in our future only through Christ. It's great news for those who believe. Now let's continue on in our text, see the significance of what happens next in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you do know Him, and you have seen Him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough. That will be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. So believe in me, and I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. See, the Apostle Philip has put words to one of the deepest longings of the human heart. If we're going to be honest, it is this desire that we all have that we desire to see God. I want to see Him. Let me take you all the way back to Exodus. Chapter 33, Moses makes this bold request of God. He says, please show me your glory. Consider the source for just a second. The man who is asking that, who is requesting that, is the man who experienced a burning bush. This is a man who had experienced or witnessed ten plagues. He had seen the Red Sea parted, and yet Moses still desires a deeper experience. He desires to see God face to face. seems that the more Moses knew of God, the more he wanted. The more he knew of God, the more he saw God at work, the more he wanted. And the same might be said of Philip in our text. He'd been with Jesus from the beginning. He'd been journeying Jesus. He'd been walking alongside him. And yet somehow he missed the reality of God in the flesh standing right before him in this moment. He missed it. And so Jesus reminds him, when I spoke, you heard the Father. When I was at work, you saw the Father at work. 
In one sense, we know that our heavenly Father is like because Jesus models it for us. Jesus is like the Father. And so when we hear Jesus' words, we are encouraged to believe that Jesus will, in fact, show you and me the Father. He shows us the Father. But the fact is, we're a lot like Philip, aren't we? We're a lot like Moses in many ways. We've seen God at work. For those of us who are here, we have seen God at work. We have watched Him answer our prayers. We've experienced God's grace in our lives. And yet we miss it sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we just miss it. We just miss seeing God at work in our lives. Now, I've mentioned this a few times over the past past few months, the past few years have been really difficult, haven't they? I mean, they've been diff- difficult culturally. They've been difficult in the context of the church. And that's what I know, so that's what I'm going to speak to this morning. We've seen friends leave. We've seen friends turn their worship to the idol of politics and power, and that takes precedence over the gospel. Church, that's an idol. We've seen family members walk away from Christ-centered faith altogether. Just say, you know what, I'm not interested. If we're going to be real with each other, those things can be incredibly discouraging for our souls. So discouraging sometimes that we forget that God is at work in our lives and in our midst. For those of us who are on staff here, it's very real, it's palpable at times. So one of the things we started doing about six months ago is when our staff meets, we have a weekly staff meeting, and we begin our meetings by sharing God at work, sharing stories of gospel movement in our lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our life group, in the lives of our church. When we get together, we celebrate because we see God moving. We see God working. When we were together recently, we were able to share just a couple quick stories, and I'll just share them with you. Two people in our church family came to personal faith in Jesus Christ a couple weeks ago. Yeah. We don't see that. You can kind of blow past that, but the fact of the matter is God was stirring in someone's heart to bring them to the point of responding to the call of the gospel on their lives. That is God at work. Another quick story. Maybe you'd say that was a big one. Maybe this one might be a little bit of a smaller story, but one of our high school students invited one of his classmates But he didn't just invite him to come and experience our our wake ministry. What he did is he said, well, I'll bring you. And the kid came. That's a celebration. That may not bear fruit of someone coming to faith like the first story, but what it is is it's a gospel movement in the life of our high school student and in the life of that young man. And just in that same meeting, we had a number of encouraging answers to prayer. Just our small team. We celebrate because we see God at work. This is one of the things that we can so easily forget. 
that God is at work in our lives, God is at work in our midst. And so let me encourage you today, in the week ahead, be looking for God's work in your life. Be looking for God and how He is working in the life of your family, in the life of your life group, in the life of the people you work with. It doesn't have to be a dramatic story of conversion. Maybe it's just a small step, but that is gospel movement, that is God at work in the lives of His people. So let me encourage you, be intentional in the week ahead. Look for ways that Jesus is at work Showing us the Father, moving through the Spirit and in the lives of His people. Be intentional. Be looking. Now, let's look at the final portion of today's text. We'll pick it up at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What's happening here is Jesus moves the narrative from focusing upon himself to an outward focus. The focus shifts in the moment. It shifts from His work to the work of His followers. To paraphrase, you've witnessed what God has done through me, now you're going to participate in God's work as you go out. You guys got that? I see one head shaking. Let me say that one more time. You're going to be witnessing what God has done And then you're going to be doing it yourself. You are going to be participating in the work of God. You see, Jesus in this moment is helping his close friends see a vision that is beyond themselves. We've talked about Thomas and Philip and how they kind of had these personal questions of what's going on in their faith journey and, well, where do I go? And I want to see God. And those are good, real questions, but the focus now shifts. He wants them to see the work of the Father modeled by the Son, and the work of the Son now is practiced by God's children. It's now put into practice by God's people. You'd say, well, how does this happen? How do amazing and powerful things happen? Not in our human strength, but through the work of the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And this is why God's people can believe that Jesus will glorify the Father through us. God will glorify the Father through us because He has sent us His Holy Spirit. Now, the prime example of this comes at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles on that particular day. The number of Jesus' followers grew exponentially in that moment. 3,000 new believers. There was gospel movement. Here's how one theologian describes it, the magnitude of what happened. He says, when Jesus left the scene, committing his gospel to a little group of 11 men, remember Judas had done his thing. There was 11 men in order that they might carry it to the ends of the earth. In just 300 years, Christianity numbered its converts in the millions. Friends, this doesn't happen 
That does not happen without the supernatural work of God through the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross, through the Spirit-empowered lives of His believers. That's you. That's me. That's how this movement happens in the lives of men, of women, and of children. It happens because of our faith in Jesus, who is the Christ. And then we are empowered with the Holy Spirit. And so this is the vision that Jesus cast to His disciples and then to His followers. And the vision is massive. It's massive. So I want to close today with a powerful and yet I think very poignant quote from a man named J.I. Packer about the way that God inspires you and me to action. Here's what Packer writes. He says, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this, the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling good can there be than knowing God. So the question is, do you know Him? Do you believe in Jesus? Everything that we have looked at in today's biblical text, whether it's the hope in the time of trouble, whether it is our heavenly home, whether it is the preparation of a place for us, whether it is Jesus showing us the Father to now empowering us for mission, all of it, begins by faith in Christ, all of it. Do you know Him? That's the most important question you will ever consider. Because Jesus is the way, and He is the truth, and He is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we're so thankful for Jesus, for the wisdom of the words that He shared, for the boldness of the words that He shared, and He can share those because it's true. He is one with you. And so, God, it is our heart's desire in this moment that in the quietness of this moment, God, that you would do your work. If there's one here today who would say, I don't, I don't know Jesus, I've, I've never placed my faith in him, I've never repented of my sin, we want to give you just a moment right where you are to do that, to respond to the call of the gospel on your life to acknowledge the move of the Holy Spirit. So just acknowledge that you're a sinner. Confess that sin to God. Acknowledge that you believe upon Jesus and His work on the cross to save you from your sin. Trust in Him as your Savior. And then receive 
the power of the Spirit to move you into living the life that He's called you to. God, that's our prayer today, that we would believe in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.